I uh, do not have any water with me, nor do I plan on walking to the kitchen to get any this week and pouring it out on the carpet. You'll be glad to know the carpet looks just fine. So if you weren't here last week, I poured water on the stage. It was really something else. Um, Yeah, that's about that. Uh, This week, however, open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 18. We're going to go back a little bit uh, from 1 Kings chapter 18 uh, in a moment, but that's going to be our key text today, 1 Kings chapter 18, as we continue our survey of Old Testament revivals, and we look today at the revival that took place under Elijah. Now, it had been 58 years since the kingdoms had divided. Remember, when God's people came back from Egypt, they did a couple laps around the mountain and the faithless generations died, and then they finally entered into the promised land. You had the 12 tribes that worked together and settled the land. But eventually there became a split in the 12 tribes that the 10 northern tribes became known as Israel. The two southern tribes that were Judah and Benjamin became known as the larger tribe, just Judah. And uh, Jesus came through that line there. But that northern kingdom of Israel, those 10 tribes... It had been almost a hundred years since the blessing of the United Kingdom under David and Solomon. And now this northern kingdom had seven different kings that ruled over them. And that's where I'd want you to turn back in your Bible. If you turn back in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12, one of those kings, the first one is actually before he became king. Jeroboam. And in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 28, you see that instead of worshiping Yahweh, he installed not one, but two golden calves. Hey, you got to go one up on Aaron and all the disobedient people back then, right? Two golden calves for the price of one, for the people to worship. And he put one in one place and one another, so you could worship where it was convenient to you. Now, the second king was Nadab. Now, not dabbing like, you know, this... Um, Nadab was his name, an odd name to us, but it says in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 26, that he walked in the sins of his fathers. This guy was following what his dad did, Jeroboam, in sinfulness and idolatry. The third king was Basha. And Basha, just let you know the kind of guy he was, he ascended to the throne by murdering his father, or excuse me, brother, and and so, uh, you know, that's how he got there. Then the fourth king, Elah, was a drunkard and a murderer. The fifth king, Zimri, was guilty of treason against his own nation. The sixth king, Omri, was a military guy, but Scripture says of him he was worse than all the kings that went before him. And then Ahab, the seventh king of the northern kingdom. Scripture records that Ahab was more evil than all the kings before him. And not only was Ahab himself evil, but he married Jezebel, the daughter of the king of Sidon. And what we find ourselves in today in the situation that we're going to address with Elijah in chapter 18 of 1 Kings is that God's kingdom of Israel was not in the best of times. Politically or spiritually. And I want to say, dude, welcome to modern America, right? The rise of Baal worship and other false gods. And the idolatry of the people to serve themselves. 
and to treat their own countrymen as wicked. But there was still a remnant of those who worshipped Yahweh, the one true God. And we have to wonder, how did they get so far away? How did God, who had blessed them so much, become so small, so forgotten? And keep in mind that this is the fifth of my sermons in this series. And it's the fifth of these revivals in the Old Testament. And if we go back and we think where we started in uh, September the 9th, in Psalm 85, we had a revival with the sons of Korah. And it was about asking God to revive us. And the next week, on September 16th, we looked at Genesis 35 with Jacob and getting rid of all the idols that God's people had accumulated at that time. And then we got to our third sermon in Exodus 34 with Moses confessing the sins of the people with the golden calves and all that mess. And God uh, bringing judgment on them, but Moses keeping them from being utterly destroyed, that he would be the only one left and God would start a new nation through him. And then last week... In 1 Samuel chapter 7, that Samuel called God's people to serve him alone. Stop messing around with all your idols. Focus on what God is calling you to be and do. And then we have Ahab and Jezebel and the kingdom that's gotten so far away from God that God decides he's got to shake his people into submission, and take extreme measures to get their attention. Look in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe, okay, just to make sure about that, that's like saying the Lincolnite from Lincoln, but Tishbe in Gilead, so go like really the back country. It's in the Transjordan area of Galilee. So go up to the north part of the kingdom and where the, you see a Galilee is, you know, that Jesus hung out and did so much ministry. And go as far as you can out to the edge of Israelite territory to the east there. And that's where this guy's from. Backwater. Nothing. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, so he went to the king. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Ahab was a wicked king. His wife Jezebel was even more wicked. Yet Elijah, filled with the Spirit of God and God's power, goes and makes a pronouncement before the king. There won't be rain and there won't even be dew until I say so. This is filed under how to make yourself public enemy number one. How to put a price on your head that Jezebel wants to kill you and Ahab's going to do it because uh, he's kind of mad at you too. Because, you know... You're ruining life for them and the whole kingdom. But that brings us to this idea of letting God be God. And our scripture memory verse for the month. Our scripture memory verse for the month is from Exodus 33. And let's read that together and see the promise it reminds us of. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Exodus thirty three fourteen. 
Pray with me. God, our Father, you promised so long ago to Moses there in Exodus that you would go with him and you would give him rest. In other words, you'd provide for him and take care of everything he needed. We need to recognize that promise today. So many of us work so hard at controlling our own lives and doing our own thing. And we try to control other people and do their stuff too. And we just don't trust you. We don't have the faith or the courage to let you be God. So God, we will be confronted today with this scripture that recounts supernatural acts that you did to remind us of our need to let you be God. Speak to us by your scripture, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first point on your outline this morning is that God gives courage. God gives courage. Look at verse 1 and 2. Elijah had made that pronouncement, but look at how long it is now. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now, if you were to read what went on in the meantime in chapter 17, there was no rain for almost three and a half years. And Jezebel, trying to up the ante, trying to flush out Elijah, began um, murdering God's prophets and God's people. And so Elijah is on the run. Elijah is looking out for his life because he is public enemy number one to the wicked king and queen. And so now God says to Elijah, I want you to go back and I want you to tell the king rain's coming. Um, you know, God, they're not really happy with me right now. I, that's kind of like a suicide mission. Are you sure you want me to go back? But God said, go. And Elijah obeyed. He took courage. Go on in verse 3. It said there was a severe famine in Samaria. That's their region. Because there was no dew, no rain. And Ahab had summoned Obadiah, who was in charge of his palace. Now, note this at the end of verse 3. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. Notice that's the Lord God, L-O-R-D, capital O, capital R, capital D. So, if Ahab and Jezebel are so wicked, what is this righteous man, Obadiah, doing in their court? Basically, their number two guy whether he's a CFO or CEO or president, I don't know, by our modern uh, corporate standards, but he's there. He's there to provide influence. He's there to provide guidance. God put him there on purpose. Look at verse 4. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. So God had a man in a position of power that could do something to protect his spokespeople, his prophets. Verse 5, Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land and all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we'll not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land where they recover, Ahab governing in the one direction and Obadiah in the other. So Ahab, the wicked king, trusted this righteous man, Obadiah, who was 
taking care of God's prophets surreptitiously. Verse 7, as Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him and bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? He's like, Dude, you don't know how bad they want to get you. And I think it's you because I saw your picture hanging up on the poster of the post office. And, you know, I heard about you on Israel's Most Wanted. And so I think it's you. Verse 8. Yes, he replied, go tell your master Elijah is here. Look at verse 9. What have I done wrong? Asked Obadiah. That you're handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. Do you hear that? Ahab and Jezebel are so wicked, so crooked. Obadiah, the number two man in the whole land that has been trusted by Ahab and Jezebel, is saying to Elijah, they are so wicked that if I am the messenger that you are still alive, they're going to kill me just for saying it. We need some courage going on here, y'all. Verse 9. What have I done wrong, he asked in verse 10. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or a kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear that they could not find you. I mean, a death wish, right? But now you tell me, go say to my master, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. In other words, God's carried you away and done supernatural things before. Can I trust you is what Obadiah is saying to Elijah. And if I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Do you see there's a change here? He's saying, I know I'd be a dead man if you don't show up, but I trust God too. And because I have faith in God and what He's done, I'm going to take courage too. You have the courage to come back. I've got to be the courage to be the messenger. Look at what He says. Verse 13. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the lords and prophets in two caves, fifty each, and supplied them with food and water. In other words, I know that I've been faithful And I'm telling myself I've been faithful to work up my courage to go back to the king. Verse 14. And now you tell me, go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. He kind of vacillates back. He's like, I've done this amazing stuff. I'm taking care of a hundred prophets. I've worshipped God since my youth. But I know if I go tell Ahab you're here, he's still going to want to kill me. Verse 15. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve... Did you notice Elijah already said that? Maybe we should be like Elijah and remind ourselves whom we serve when God calls us to do something that seems bigger than us. Oh, wait a second. God wants us to do things that are bigger than us, so we have to depend on Him. What does He say? As the Lord Almighty lives whom I serve, I will surely Present myself to Ahab today. Elijah is promising Obadiah, I'm going to go there. You can take my word to the bank. You do not have to fear. Take courage, my friend, Obadiah. Let's go on in the scripture. Verse 16. So Obadiah, thing that's not recorded here, 
that, uh, you know, uh, Elijah must have said, hey, tell him to meet me on this mountain or tell him to meet me at this place. You're going to find out here. Hang on, hang on. Verse 17. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? If you're this mad at the guy, if you've made him public enemy number one, is that the best insult you can come up with? You troubler of Israel? I mean, maybe it was really a nasty term in those days and times, but seems to me you'd have some ugly words for him and some, you know, mean stuff you'd say about him, and you'd make memes and videos and stuff and put it on the Internet, and other people would begin to believe you because it's on the Internet, so it must be true. And it seems to me you'd do that, verse 18. I've not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. Talk about courage. Look at what comes next. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. In other words, you and your wife have taken care of these 850 prophets. You bring these guys for a showdown on Mount Carmel. Verse 20, so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Now, I don't know what Ahab's thinking. Is he thinking this is his opportunity to catch Elijah, to kill him in front of everybody and be like, yeah, I did it. But I mean, Ahab obeys Elijah. Or was this an instant where God had changed Ahab's heart and Ahab did what God wanted him to do. Like scripture says that a king's heart is a water course in the hands of the Lord who directs it wherever he wishes. That God has manipulated or not manipulated, changed Ahab's heart. But when we think about this idea of God giving us courage, we've got two application questions for us. And the first one is, what's the craziest thing I've ever done? What about you personally? Rode your bike with no hands skied a black diamond, ate Brussels sprouts, parachuted out of an airplane, confronted a difficult person in your life, forgave somebody who sinned grievously against you. What's the craziest thing you've ever done? What about the craziest God-called thing you ever did? Left your home, left your family, left your job, left everything. Went to a place you did not know to serve the God that you did know. Think about the craziest thing you've ever done. Was it as crazy as Elijah walking into Ahab, Jezebel, and 850 prophets that wanted to kill him? Most of us aren't that crazy. But God calls all of us to do something. And when God calls you, friends, He'll lead you. When God calls you, He'll provide for you. When God calls you, He'll protect you. When God calls you, He'll give you courage. When God calls you, He'll give you wisdom. When God calls you, He'll give you the words. He's God. And He's not going to call you and leave you high and dry. He is going to answer. Remember Philippians 2.13, write that one down. It is God who works in you to will and to act according to His good purpose. When God calls you, He will provide. J. Hudson Taylor said, God's work done in God's way will never lack for God's provision. God is going to take care of you where He calls you. Take courage, Christians.
Your next question asks, when has God given me supernatural courage? Because if God's called you and you're still standing on the sideline or you're still making excuses, you need to ask God to give you supernatural courage. Super means above or beyond. Above or beyond what is natural courage comes from God alone, not from you. You can't work it up on your own. You can't get there. You can't pump yourself up. Even the great worship songs we sing aren't going to mean anything to you unless God himself is in you. Think about God's power that was at work here. To put a dome over an area of land for three and a half years that no rain, no dew came in. Think about God's courage to Elijah to be able to say that once, to wait out for three and a half years and to be able to step back into it now. And now let's look at God's power. That's the second point on your outline. The second point on your outline is God shows His power. God shows His power. If there was ever a lonely man in the history of the world, it was Elijah versus 850 evil prophets. Yet here's the equation. One plus God equals majority. One plus God equals a majority. If you have God on your side, if God has called you to do something, no matter how big it sounds, no matter how scary it sounds, no matter how much courage it will take, no matter if it's more faith than you imagine you could ever muster, God's power will come through. Look at what he says in verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver before two opi- between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. The people said nothing. They were smart enough to keep their mouths shut. They knew something was about to go down. Verse 22, Then Elijah said to them, I am the only of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves. They get first pick. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood and set it on fire. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood and set it on fire. Then call on the name of uh, your God. Notice it's a little g God. And I will call on the name of the Lord, capital O, capital R-D. That's the big God, the one true God. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So basically it's a showdown, right? You get to choose the first bull. You prepare a sacrifice, a sacrificial altar, and call down fire from heaven. I'm going to choose the second bull, the one that you didn't want. I'm going to cut him up, put him on an altar, and call down fire from heaven. And whoever's God answers with fire from heaven, that's the one true God. And then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response, no answer. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Um, I don't know if this is the best idea, but Elijah is obviously emboldened by God. Shout louder! Surely he is a God. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling or sleeping or maybe he must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with sword. I mean, they're cutting themselves to try to get Baal's attention, this false God. 
Midday passed, and they continue their frantic prophecy until the time for the evening sacrifice. They've been at it for nine hours, dancing around, crying, screaming, cutting each other. But there was no response, no answer, no one paid attention. Why was there no response, no answer, and no one paid attention? Yeah. It's not a God. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, not just 10 for the 10 tribes there, but the 12. One for each of the tribes who had descended from Jacob, to whom the Lord had come, saying, you shall, uh, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seahs of a seed. In other words, it says about 13 quarts. So trench, good-sized trench. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars of water. Um, Wait a second, isn't water scarce? And pour it on the offering of the wood. He said, do it again. Do it a third time. Now, I don't know how far they had to go and how they had the water there. But one way or the other, they did. And they pour out this ever-precious commodity because they've been in three and a half years of drought, and they pour it on the trench. Maybe they had some deep wells that were still getting water. I don't know. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed. Now, keep in mind, the false prophets of Baal, they'd been at it for nine hours, dancing around, singing, yelling, cutting themselves, hollering to their God. 450 of them plus 400 prophets of Asher. Asherah. And look at what Elijah does. One simple prayer. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Simple prayer, and what happens? Verse 38, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked it up, the water in the trench. It like nuked it. It's gone. Like a superhero movie, right? Verse 39, When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and, and cried. The Lord, He is God. The Lord He is God. God shows his power. The question for you and I to consider is how long have we wavered with God? How long has it been that we've known who God was and we've known his power, but we did things our own way? We took control of our own lives and we made a mess of it. How long have we been wavering with God that we need to be called back, that we need revival, that we need supernatural intervention in our lives? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 reminds us when we get in this state, 2 Corinthians 4, 18. Don't focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. 
So often we focus on the circumstances of our life that are seen and that challenges us. But we need to focus on the God who so often remains unseen. For what is seen is temporary, Scripture tells us, but what is unseen is eternal. Your God, the one true God, is eternal and He is all-powerful and that's who we should focus on. Your next question is, when have I witnessed God's power? When have you witnessed God's power? Think about how Obadiah was reminding himself of his walk with God, reminding himself of God's provision for him. He was almost building up his own courage. I'm asking you to do the same thing here. That you would remind yourself, looking back at your life, God showed up here. God did something miraculous there. God answered a prayer here. Again and again and again, as you look back in the spiritual landmarks of your life to see the power of God in your life personally. Then think about the people you know and you've seen prayers miraculously answered and things done that were supernatural. And you've witnessed the power of God in your life. Then think about the Bible and think about the stories you know from the Bible where God did supernatural things like the very story we're reading right now this morning and you've witnessed God's power God healed someone changed someone answered a prayer did something that only he can do God called God gave courage God showed his power now God's going to bring this to fruition the third major point on your outline is that God answers prayers. God answers prayers. Remember the people had just fallen before God and cried out, He is God, He is God, in verse 39. But look at verse 40. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them. And Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. That's ugly, I know, but these are wicked servants of a false god. And this must be what God told him to do. Verse 41, go on. And Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. I'm sure Ahab's going, where's the sound of heavy rain? I don't hear the sound of heavy rain anywhere. I, I, I might have tinnitus in my ears. Maybe need to, you know, go to see the miracle ear people. Get my hearing checked. But I don't hear the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. So he listened. But Elijah climbed on the top of Mount Carmel, went back to the top of the mountain. And he bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Now, this isn't what God calls all of us to do, but this is the posture Elijah adopted to pray at this point in time. Verse 43, go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said, the servant. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time, the servant reported a cloud. He just said, go as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. They're on top of the mountain. They've got to go down from Mount Carmel and go to his palace a little ways away. So you better get going, Ahab, because the rain is coming. There's a cloud that big, but... Elijah has faith that it's going to come a thunderstorm. A gully washer, as my daddy would say. Verse 45, Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, and the wind rose, and a heavy rain came 
on and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. God answered Elijah's prayer. And God shows supernatural strength again by allowing Ahab or uh, uh, Elijah to run faster than a man in a chariot to the town. You'll have to read on in chapter 19 to see what happens next. But Elijah had faith and God confirmed his faith in him. God showed his power in him. God answered his prayer for him. So you've got two more questions before you're done, don't you? The first one is, what's the biggest need in my life today? What's the biggest need in my life today? What's the one thing I wish? What's the one thing I hope? What's the one thing I need? Not wish or hope. What's the one thing I need? Is it strength? Is it health? Is it money? Is it change? Is it forgiveness? Is it courage? Is it grace? Mercy? Peace? Hope? Has God spoken to you directly about that? Has He spoken to you through His Word? If not, that's where I would tell you to go. Search His Word for that thing that you're looking for. Ask Him to speak to you. That's the second thing I would tell you is, have you asked Him? And I would tell you, have you asked Him again and again and again? God, you know I need this thing in my life. And you beg Him and you plead with Him and you are persistent with Him as Scripture teaches to come back to Him in prayer again and again. Bring His Word to Him again and again in claiming His promises. The third thing I'd ask you is, He called you as, has God called you to claim His promises? That he has caused scripture to leap off the page to you and said to you, this one's for you. This one is one to hang on to. The fourth thing I'd ask you is have you confessed every known sin in your life? 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 12. 1 Peter 3 12 says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the faith of the Lord, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You know you need this thing. You've sought God's word. You've sought God's uh, speaking to you directly through his word. But I've got to ask you, have you confessed your known sin to him in order that you would be righteous, that he would hear your prayers and want to answer you? And then the fifth thing I'd ask here is your forgiveness. Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Is there anyone that you haven't forgiven for anything? You need to make sure not only have you confessed your sins, but that you have sought to be free of unforgiveness and seek peace in all the relationships that you know of and that you have, in order that God might hear your Prayers. We've got a need in our life. God tells us that He'll provide for us. But He also tells us what we need to do to prepare ourselves that He can provide. 
Your final question this morning. When have I exercised such faith in God? We saw God encourage Elijah. We saw God's power in preventing the rain. God's power in bringing the rain supernaturally. We saw the response of the people that God answered Elijah's prayer for rain. But when have you exercised such faith in God? Now, you may not be called to be a prophet. You may not be called to do crazy supernatural things like pronounce that there will be no rain and then bring rain uh, at your request again. But God has called you to do certain things that He's not called anyone else to do because you're the only you He made. And if He's called you to walk with Him, He wants you to walk in faith. And He wants you to ask Him to do things that only He can do to remind you that He is God and you're not. Psalm 69.13 says, But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, at an acceptable time, O God, in the abundance of your steadfast love, answer me in your saving faithfulness. Answer me. Let's pray. Our Father... All of us have needs in our life. And all of us need you to answer prayers. Whether it's for ourselves. Or for friends. For our church. For our nation. Our neighbors. Whatever God. And you've showed us that you're powerful. And you've showed us that if we'll stop trying on our own and let you be God. That you can exercise your power and you will answer our prayers and you will get the glory. As we would be encouraged to turn back to you. And as you would get the glory and others would be encouraged to turn back to you. So God, we lift up to you now. Any person in this place who've never trusted Christ as their Savior, that they would say today, yes, I need to commit my life to follow Jesus. And they'd let us know that too by walking down this aisle in a minute. God, for any of us who are believers in Jesus, that there's something that we've held on to that has come in the way of our relationship with you, something sinful we need to confess, may we do that today. Some forgiveness we need to grant. May we do that today. Whatever it is, God. And maybe, God, there's somebody that you're calling to join our church today. And they need to walk down this aisle and say that. Whatever it is, God, may we obey you today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.